Hey all, Logan here, uh, your host for Initiative Roll, a Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons. Just wanted to pop in here real quick right before the theme song rolls and let you know that this episode's audio quality, it's a little bit rough. Um, and what I mean, well, I mean you'll see, um, but let me give you the rundown. So we got a new studio mic, which is awesome. Um, but the problem we're facing with it is that it picks up literally everything. So this episode, we have a couple of guests, Quinn and Clay, who are friends of Nathaniel's from a long time, and I've, I've met them both before and played Dungeons and Dragons with them as well. Um, and we had them record on the episode. Uh, but as a result, we were all huddled around this one mic, and we didn't really have a venue to do this in, aside from my living room and my apartment. Um, and so, you know, my roommate got a little hungry, and he came out and started cooking some curry, and every noise he makes is recorded in in it's just perfect detail um is where we're at on that so you'll hear slicing you'll hear chopping you'll hear drawers you'll hear water running you'll hear curry boiling um that's technically all on us uh, and we do apologize for that so yeah that's just something to bear in mind while you while you listen to the ep so uh but thanks so much for listening and i hope you enjoy the episode Logan Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Nathaniel Johnson. I'm the Dungeon Master, Clay Ellsworth. I'm the Dungeon Lord, Quinn King. Wait, is your last name actually King? Yeah. How did I not know that? (laughs) (laughs) You've got to realize, you say, I'm the Dungeon Lord, Quinn King, and I was like, ooh, power play. I suppose it's good we started with introductions. <laughs> but you just, you like said it so flatline that I was like, you can't be joking. It's not possible. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't know that. Um, anyway, you might notice a couple of things different about this episode of Initiative Roll. First, we've upgraded our recording setting. Now, those of you at home may not hear that because, like I said, it's a little echoey because we also have Quinn and Clay on the show with us today. Yeah, it's a really great treat to have you guys here. Uh, you two are... Actually, the first people I played Dungeons and Dragons with since I became an adult, so I'm happy to have you guys finally on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. I uh, don't have anything else to say, <laughs> so that's uncomfortable. Hey, it's all right. Yeah, I'm. I'm also happy to be here. I mean, I never really played Dungeons and Dragons before coming becoming friends with you guys, so you yeah. guys made me a nerd. Yeah. So for our listeners at home, I would like just a little bit of background. Um, we've alluded to this on the show before, but I want to know how you guys got started playing in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and for each of you, kind of what made you fall in love with the game. Which of you would like to go first? So, I mean, like I said, the first people I played with were Clay and Nathaniel. Um, I mean, it was a different experience because we were at the time working at a call center where we couldn't have paper. So. <laughs> Which is not a need for Dungeons and Dragons, I've been told. Apparently um, so, not, actually. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely different, and but 
you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so before we, we move on, what sold you on it then? Like, because obviously it was a fundamentally different experience than you would normally get playing Dungeons & Dragons. I guess, like, what caught you? What brought you in? <clears throat> it, was, it was definitely the storytelling. I actually think that the no paper worked better to kind of bring me in. I'm, I'm an auditory learner, so I definitely work better off of picturing things and imagining things, and so that actually helped me a lot. Oh, cool, yeah, that's like 80% of, of Dungeons & Dragons. What about you, Clay? So for me, um, what really brought me into the game uh, was hatred. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background on that. Uh. Uh, my first adventure, um, <clears throat> I was... We went up against the Inspired... They are a group of people in Eberron. Um, they were psionics, and there was one in particular. Her name was Catherine, and she had purple hair, and a, I believe it was a green flowing robe. And I hated her so much. She kind of poked at the party the, the entire campaign. It was level one through, I think we made it to level eight. And uh, what kept me going at that point was killing Catherine. Hatred for Catherine. Huh. Huh. Gotcha. So your dungeon master, had, did he craft that setting? I'm not super familiar. Or is it a module that you guys were playing through? Um, Eberron's, Eberron's a module. Okay, cool. Um, he was a, a very by-the-book by the player. I've never read this particular adventure. Sure. But I imagine he, he took heavily from, from the books. Gotcha. Okay, cool, cool. Awesome. Well, let's uh, go for a little bit of departure. Thank you two so much for, for sharing a little bit about how you got into it. Uh, let's let's shake things up. Nathaniel, do you want to introduce our theme? Yeah, I'll go ahead and introduce our theme this time. So we're going to talk today about the importance of rules versus stories. So I like that you brought up that your first DM was a very by-the-book kind of guy. Because there is a question that gets tossed around a lot of, oh, well, you're the DM, how much sh should you bend or tweak or change or write your own rules? And we want to hear what your impressions are now i've had quinn dm for me before but i've never had clay dm so i'm not actually sure what that experience is like but i guess as a gut reaction what is what is your preference on the rules versus the story um so for me i prefer story over rules um in my opinion and i kind of did it a lot with the campaign that we did i will tweak the rules as much as i want or need to to make the story better I love a good DM screen because what happens on your side of the DM screen, only you see. Um, in, in playing, I will roll dice for effect, sometimes more than for numbers. Interesting. Um, hmm. I, I believe that the story should come first and the rules are kind of the vehicle that the story will take. Sure. No, I, I actually understand that. Perfectly, because that's kind of how I do it as well. I'm curious, uh, if you had to give it a percentage, how many numbers do you think you fudge? I, I do try to keep it to a minimum. Um, I, I think it's interesting when you've got a big bad that you've created, and for them to critically fail uh, is, is actually thoroughly entertaining to me. Um, <clears throat> so I would say maybe 10% of my rolls. Interesting. Cool. I'm curious, what about you, Nathaniel? Uh, I DM for you regularly. I'm, I don't think I'm going to say that. And we have listeners of this show who I DM for regularly. I Come don't... on. Come on. 
Don't play games with my heart. So, <laughs> back up. We did actually do an entire episode called Hide Your Dice that was about this subject. Did um, we really name the episode Hide Your Dice? Yeah, we did. Based Gosh, on the, I'm uh, out of touch with this. Based on, <laughs> how do I not know the episode? There's not that many it's of your them. own podcast. Hide your kids. Hide your dice. No, that's exactly the reference we made. Wait, really? Gosh, I feel like... How tired was I when we did that? Did I don't you... know. You're pretty tired when we do it. <clears throat> well, welcome to the podcast. This is uh, Initiative Roll. Oh, A Dungeon Master's um... Guide to Mastering Dungeons. Huh. You know, it's crazy. For all the times I say that, you'd think I'd actually remember the content of my own podcast. Uh, with a lot of the podcasts that I have done uh, with you and then with Jonathan, which we referenced last time, I seriously, to refresh, I have to listen to it right before I record the next one. Oh, really? Yeah, especially with, with Jonathan's and my cast because it's so, continuity's a little more important. Um, but yeah, I'm very bad at it. Oh. I have like no retention for it. So. As for how often I fudge dice, uh, I fudge dice if I think that me not fudging dice would ruin the game. Sure. Yep, I agree. That's kind of the toe, the line that I toe as well. If I think it's going to be more fun for the players if I fudge, then I will definitely fudge. So I probably fudge closer to 20 or 30%. Really? Yeah. That's I'm pretty, fascinated by this because I'm probably cool. at less than 5% if I'm being honest. I don't DM a lot, but I'm probably pushing forty or 30 or 40. Really? This is fascinating. Yeah, if so, I can. If so, I have a screen, I'll do that. I'll, so here's the thing. I don't... I, I need to go to Vegas, apparently, because like, I roll really well almost <laughs> always. I and can so, vouch for that. It's infuriating. <laughs> so... When I roll for my characters that I've made going up against my team, the, the players, I have to fudge it or they will die every encounter. Oh, wow. That makes sense. That, that actually makes sense then why you fudge it <laughs> so much. Dang. Because we all know that dice are magical things. We, I mean, we all know they're not, but we all know they definitely are and they, <laughs> they like or dislike us and treat us in certain ways. So, with that rules versus story, then, I think we all agree that rules are important, though, for the game. There needs to be consistency. So, one of the rules that is a bit of a weird rule that's been around in Dungeons & Dragons, at least since 3rd edition, maybe earlier, I don't know about 1st or 2nd edition, but the rule that I find fascinating is the wizard's spellbook. Now... Quick recap on the wizard's spellbook. A spellbook is what the wizard preps their spells out of, and they can only prep what they've written down in the spellbook. And to write down spells in the spellbook, they either can gain spells through leveling up or finding spells in the wild and investing time and gold and resources to write it down. It's a very costly effort for a wizard to learn new spells. Now, some DMs say, yeah, follow those rules exactly as written, and others are like, no, no, don't worry about it. Just, you know, if you want the spell, just write it in. But what, what are your guys' take on that? So my take on that is, if you want to have a spell instantaneously, be a sorcerer, not a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think that, that something that is important when it comes to rules is balance. Um... The, the characters, the different classes, the races, they're set up the way that they are so that there's a balance in the party. 
which is why I think getting into some of these rules is very important. But I, I completely agree with Quinn in that if you want to have a little bit more freedom with your spells, that's what the sorcerer class is for. Gotcha. He said uh, the reason that you have a wizard is so there's balance in your party. And there was like, I just sat there and sat there. And like there was a balance at the party joke. Like, oh, we're all at a party. And like maybe it's before the drop. There's balance at the party. Anyway, some joke like that. Nothing good came. And so I just sat there and just, it flew right over me. No balance at the party jokes. I'm sorry. So, you're but not on your game. I think he brings up a really good point that that is why you have a wizard. The wizard's not a spell slinger like the sorcerer is, or even a warlock, right? They kind of just throw spells around like it's wild, right? This, the wizard is definitely much more premeditated, um, especially in, I know 3.5, I don't know how it is in 5th, but with uh, scrolls, being able to kind of premeditate and create scrolls in advance. Yeah, no, it's an interesting feature of wizards that they have to spend so much time preparing for battle, essentially, before they even know what the battle is. Something I've noticed that's kind of weird is that they almost always have, with starter kits, they have four, maybe five uh, types of playable characters right off the bat for people who are learning the game. They've got your fighter, your cleric, your rogue, and then it's inevitably your wizard. And wizard is, in my opinion, the most difficult class to learn to play adequately. So why do you guys think that it's that instead of sorcerer? I think that a wizard has more spells to choose from, but not as many that they can cast. Whereas a sorcerer has a little bit more limited spells. Something that I find fascinating is when I have, whenever I play with a sorcerer, there's always some sort of spell that is used in a way I've not thought of before. Whereas a wizard would just say, eh, I cast this other spell instead, if they have it prepared for that day. Um, but a sorcerer, because of their limited spell selection, has to get a little bit more creative with the spells that they do have. I think that... I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> you looked like you had something on your mind. So... To kind of, at least my answer to that question, Nathaniel, is I think it's the reason they have like the fighter, cleric, rogue, and then you've got your wizard is for first time players, it's more, it's a more recognizable term. Oh, okay. Sure. Right? Not necessarily that it's easier to play because I, I kind of steer away from magic when I'm playing. I generally will play as the paladin if I want to use magic but i kind of stick with a fighter nine times out of ten that's because i don't like using magic sure um because for a lot of reasons it confuses me and i would never pick a wizard for that same reason but i think it's a more recognized term and more understanding for first-time players as oh a wizard yeah i want to be a wizard like gandalf Right. On that same note, I think it opens the gates a lot for those players, right? Because kind of like like uh, what Clay was saying, you have a very specific, I guess you could say like a, an archetype that is the wizard. He casts spells and so on. And then like Clay said, he has a much wider variety of spells. And so somebody who says like, oh, I want to do magic, they don't mean, oh, I want to cast four different spells that I pick in advance. Sure. They mean, I want to have the spell book open to Right? Like, I want to be able to throw magic around. I think that um, 
something else that that makes a sorcerer useful is knowing what's in the spell book knowing what spells to take um, sure. a, a new player might not know what spells are at each level or what they're going to grow into at a certain point and they might choose spells that at the time seem applicable but when you know in two or three levels would be completely useless i agree so last thing i want to hit on with the spell book this uh, actually happened in the campaign that my brother-in-law is running right now. Um, so I play a tiefling wizard in there, just so that you guys are aware. And, of course, he has a spellbook, and he and I are very set on him following the rules with the spellbook. It's a big deal to us that they're followed. And we came into this new city, and within our first day of the city, a bunch of street urchins ran past our party, and they just stole crap from us. And the thing they stole from my character was his spellbook. Which means, and everything but cantrips is gone, except for the stuff he's prepared that day. Like, by the next day, he will have no spells except his cantrips. And it was probably the single most terrifying thing he's done to my character ever. Now, we got it back within less than an hour in-game, but, I mean, it was still... It, it made me realize, if I lose that spell book, I've lost everything. Your character essentially becomes worthless. Yeah, Whereas with the sorcerer, that doesn't happen. Right. So with a with a wizard, can you not remake or reobtain a new spellbook? Uh, you can, but, but you have to starting off from zero. It, it's, oh shoot! It's like I'm trying to think of a real world analogy, but I don't know. Maybe rain on your wedding day. No, not a right. free ride when you already paid. The good advice that you just can't take. None of these are ironic. Yeah, well, it figures. <laughs> it's true. Um, I thought. <laughs> no, but uh, I don't know. It would be like losing your laptop. If you've, oh, got, yeah, if sure. you've got all your homework, if you've got everything, you don't have it backed up to a cloud, and you lose your laptop. That's exactly what it would be like. Yes, you can get a new laptop. Yes, you can have all of those programs. Um, but all of the work that you've put into those projects are gone. And frankly, you won't even be able to get it back. Even if you remake all of those projects, they'll never be the same. Mm-hmm. I just had this great image of like a wizard at his desk turns and knocks over his coffee mug and is just like, no! <laughs> oh, oh, oh. It's just game over. The cloud for spellbooks, the next up and coming wizard product. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Actually, that isn't a bad idea. I'm, I'm going to talk to my dungeon master about that. How yeah. about that, Wizards of the Coast, huh? How about that? <laughs> Wrong wizards. Wrong wizards. <laughs> no, but they developed D&D, so... That's what I'm saying. Wizards of the Coast, longtime listeners of this podcast will hear that. <laughs> maybe, maybe some sort of scrying magic. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's actually pretty... Well, and this is, this is what I want to say is this rule of the spellbook can actually create some very interesting story moments. So, for instance, my character has a motivation now because he doesn't actually know magic. All he knows of magic is what he stole from one book. He has no learning, no technical prowess in it. It's taken him five years to get from level zero to level one in magic, and so he wants to gain access to a private library and take a whole bunch of books and study up on magic because that's the only way he's going to learn new spells. And so it creates a very interesting motivation for him that he has to follow the rules in the book. So I have a a technical question about spellbooks. So if a wizard encounters a scroll, Mm -hmm. can he scribe that into his spellbook? That's exactly how it's supposed to work. 
Ah, gotcha. Whether it's another wizard spellbook or a scroll, um, you can you can copy that. But it takes time or, and gold. Yep, time and gold. Or uh, the other wizard I have, uh, his name's Keth. He's a half orc wizard. Um, he writes all of his spells on rocks. Now, can you multi-class barbarian and wizard if a barbarian can't read and a wizard has to have a book? That limitation doesn't exist in 5th edition. Okay. Okay. Really? Yeah, barbarians can read. I think that people were getting frustrated that if they picked (laughs) barbarian, it came with an immediate handicap. Yeah, that's a little difficult. (laughs) It's an unnecessary handicap. Yeah, I mean, if you want to say, no, my character can't read, I think that's totally great and you can play that off. Right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Being forced into that, I think, turned people away from Barbarian. I love this idea of, like, oh, they can't read, but, like, they have to have a spell book. (laughs) They were, like, (laughs) in that... Like, he doesn't actually read the words, he just kind of feels them. (laughs) Or it's in Braille. (laughs) It's a Braille spell book. Well, if I was the DM, I'd probably give them something weird at that point. Like, okay, you do have a bunch of rocks, and what you do each morning is you arrange them in certain patterns. Could his spellbook be pictures? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to think of how this would be. I just pictured the wizard. (laughs) Pop-up is good. I was thinking like an Ikea manual. (laughs) We're just like... Put your hands out and fireball. <laughs> oh, if it was an Ikea manual, nobody would be a wizard. <laughs> I love this idea that, like, some some wizard, like, from his tower comes down. He's been studying draconic spellbooks all day. And he gets handed this barbarian spellbook, and he's like, I, I can't use this. <laughs> now, where is that screw? <laughs> where does the worm's tail go? <laughs> oh, that's great. Sounds like Spencer's spellbook. <laughs> Wait, hold on. You're going to have to elaborate. What do you mean? So, oh, like if you were to play yes. as a wizard? If Spencer, if our friend Spencer were to ever play as a wizard, he would have to have a pop-up spellbook. Because I'm pretty sure whatever character Spencer ever plays has to be a barbarian. <laughs> yep, I would agree with that assessment. Uh, this might be a, a good time. I really want this story to come out into the open. Can we talk about the, his barbarian character with the hag bag? <laughs> I don't think we should ever talk about the hag bag. <laughs> so he was actually, he was a rogue. Or ranger. was he a ranger? He was a ranger. <laughs> he was a ranger for this campaign, but his... He, I feel like an important detail here is he had an animal companion. It yes. Was a wolf. It was a wolf. That is a very important <laughs> detail. And he cared deeply for this wolf. Yeah, it was actually a pretty cool wolf. Um, but we get into this encounter against a hag and was it goblins, I think? I think that she summoned demons, actually, demons. but I don't remember, I, I think it was demons. So we get into this encounter, anyway. <clears throat> and Spencer's wolf gets killed by the hag. And Spencer lost his mind. <laughs> At the... I didn't realize that rage was a... Ranger class feature, but that's exactly what happens. On a scale of one, Aragon Dead Dragon, how bad was it? Aragon Dead Dragon. Oh, shoot. It was bad. It was really bad. And uh, his attitude was, you know in uh, the extended editions of Lord of the Rings, where the mouth of Sauron comes out of the Black Gate in Return of the King, and he just basically says, like, your halfling friends are dead, and Aragorn just rides up and, like, chops his head off? 
That was the attitude Spencer took. He was just like, nope. Boom. <laughs> so after, at the end of this, that. at the end of this encounter, we kill the hag, <clears throat> and we're all talking about what we're gonna do next. And Spencer says, before anything else, I'm going to skin the hag. <laughs> and me as the dungeon master, I'm like, beg pardon. <laughs> so he he skins the hag and makes a bag out of the hag's skin and. Also, he can carry his wolf to a safe place for burial. In the bag. In the hag bag. In the so hag he puts bag. his dead wolf into this bag and carries it with us the rest of this adventure until we're back home so that he can bury the wolf. Oh, man. Okay, <laughs> I just want to... I, I love this idea that, like, oh, man, here we are at the bridge. It's got a locked gate. I wonder if we need a key. Come on, Boots. Hag bag, hag bag. Ew! Oh, I'm just visualizing that now. That's really bad, actually. Yeah, it was one of those things that we all just kind of looked at him while he was saying this, and we were like, what? Yeah, it's an audio medium, but if you could have seen the looks on their faces as I led into that joke, it was a rough go for everything. There were a few different instances when something like that happened, when Spencer said stuff like that. It was the hag bag was definitely the worst though. Yeah, Man. and that's one of those things that looking back, I don't think there's any way that you could possibly make a large enough bag. Challenge accepted. Out of a hag's <laughs> challenge skin to carry accepted. a wolf. Well, they're really wrinkly. Does anybody know a hag? Not well, now that's just asking for mean comments about people <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm gonna find a hag and prove you wrong. <laughs> Everybody's like, I can see the headlines already. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my point with this is, he he had this desire to do this thing, and he was emotionally upset. I guess killing this hag wasn't enough for him to get over it. And this is one of those instances where I, I really willingly bent the rules on him making this bag to carry his wolf in. Um, because it was narratively fulfilling for him, though I think it disturbed everybody else. <laughs> That is pretty upsetting. And so, I don't know, when I look at the rules versus story, because we actually are talking about that on this show. Um, I, I, I had to get the hag bag in the air. <laughs> you did. When, when I look at rules versus story, I kind of, I think rules are super important, and that's why we play Dungeons and Dragons instead of just doing what everyone does on the elementary school playground. Nah, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Um... We have the rules so that there is narrative tension, but we we should be willing and able to bend the rules if it's going to make everybody else's enjoyment higher. So I, I have a question for you DMs. How do you set challenge ratings for things? As you're, as you're preparing a story, we talked about dice rolls, but the other side of that is challenge ratings. Um, do you predetermine those? Do you look at it and think, yeah, that seems good enough? Um, what does that look like for you guys? I don't know, Logan. You think my goal is to just kill the party every time. You know, when in science, like in physics and in astrology... and Astrology is not a science. That's a pseudoscience. It's a science. Get wrecked, astrology. Wow, why you gotta put them on blast like that? <laughs> and painting, all those sciences. <laughs> <laughs> um, in all of those... You forgot ant farming. True, true ant farming. Wait, do we got any other good science? 
is... I feel like there's one more. Somebody's got to be on the cusp of another joke here. Guys? Guys? Hey, you're on your own with this one. I'm out. <laughs> all right. Some, and farming's all I've got. Somebody, somebody reach out to us, and by that I mean slide into my DMs. <laughs> See that? Like that one? <laughs> and, and tell me a good follow-up to that joke. Um, what I was going to say is, in the science... The McElroys are not experts, and their advice should never <laughs> be taken. This is not that podcast. This is literally not that podcast. This isn't like last time when you talked about video games and I talked about video games. This is actually... That is somebody else's podcast. Would you just leave off for two seconds? No, but that, that might be another science, is, is, is their podcast. Oh, sure. Advice giving. Huh. Well, now I can't remember why I was talking about the science. That's basically astrology. <laughs> true true i can't remember why i was talking about the sciences we were talking about clay's question clay's question about um how we determine challenge ratings oh yeah in the sciences when something's demonstrated enough times it evolves from like a hypothesis to a postulate to a theory at this point, it is a theory that you are trying to kill your players. <laughs> That's where we're at. Wow, we really drifted off the course to get to that one. That was my fault, I'm sorry. That was like a hidden level in Cruising Exotica for Nintendo 64. Now back to video games again. Jeez. <laughs> I always got them deep poles. Y'all know that. But no, you always try You're to kill You're the only the one here that's not a dad. Stop making dad jokes. <laughs> True. <laughs> I talked to a girl this week. <laughs> 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 I, I genuinely wish I could say that that's the first time I've heard that on a D&D podcast. <laughs> the best part is, I said that for completely comedic effect, but somebody out there has said that seriously. <laughs> that's so bad. I'm, um, so, Clay, to answer... Well, now it's sad. To answer your question, Clay, I, I don't know. I kind of just take whatever... I kind of look at what level my characters are and how many of them there are and what what types of characters they are, if that makes sense, what class, and kind of just gauge it from there um, as far as challenge rating. And then during the encounter, I fudge it if I have to. I fudge either their health or their how hard they hit or any of that. Something that I'm learning to do as a dungeon master is... Take into account, both on the player side and on the monster side, how much harder um, circumstantial factors make things. For instance, if, for, if the monsters are likely to get a surprise round because of the way that I've set up the encounter, the monsters are much harder than they would be otherwise. Um, I've almost killed players that way, and it's, it's really scary to do that. Scary for you, frustrating for the player. <laughs> Fair enough. Experience. But there. on the other hand, if I set it up so that the players can get the drop on these monsters, then they dispatch them before the monsters even get a turn most of the time, just because of the way it works. So I'm learning to kind of educate circumstantial factors into it. So if I know that the monsters are going to be harder if they get surprised, for example, I make them not as difficult as they normally would be. If the players are going to get a surprise round, I make the monsters harder than they normally would be. So this is something that I carry over from 3.5. I don't know if 5th edition has something similar, um, but one of the specific examples it gives in the rule books is climbing a cliff. And so if the, depending on the angle of the cliff, if it's more of a mountainside, the challenge rating might be like a five or a six if it's 
a sheer cliff face, but it's rocky, it might be a 10 or an 11. If you are climbing... If you're climbing like Spider-Man, upside like down. Like Spider-Man, I mean, we might be getting into 2025 difficulty or challenge ratings. And if you're climbing a cliff bar... Well, you might be... you might be a halfling. <laughs> <laughs> wow, did we just did we just uh, lampoon all of halflings there? Dwarfs, whatever. No, that that's interesting. So explain that more. Why do you use the cliff analogy? Like, what do you mean? Climbing can just vary across any different type of surface. Um, in in modern terms, we could climb up a rock climbing wall, and that would have a certain challenge rating, <laughs> or a player they could attempt. Do. Or a player could attempt to climb a marble wall. Okay. Um, Where there's going to be next to no handholds at all. And depending on the angle of it, right, it makes it more or less difficult. I have seen some phenomenal climbing videos where the cliff face is, there's like no texture. Um, And I don't know how they get up them. They find tiny little ledges and they're able to do it. Um, I'm just curious how kind of you guys come to the conclusion on what challenge ratings to set. Oh, okay, sure. How we decide what's too difficult for our players in that case. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's straight up an, like an algorithm. There the is an algorithm in the fifth edition handbook. Okay, what does that look like? Uh, so it essentially says, okay, you have this many players and they are these levels. This is an easy encounter for one player of that level, a medium, a hard, and a deadly encounter. And it gives it to you in how many experience points it would be. Because each monster is worth a certain amount of experience points permanently. So like a goblin might be worth, I don't know, is it 50 or 100 or something? 50. So a goblin is always worth 50 experience points. Just the one you pull straight out of the monster manual. And maybe, I don't remember the chart offhand, but a level 1 player would find one goblin to be an easy encounter. 50 experience points. That means that two players versus one goblin, even if they're level one, that's not even a question. They're going to survive that, and they're probably not even going to get hurt, frankly speaking. But the more goblins that you add into that encounter, the more difficult it becomes by nature, right? So it gets to a point where if you have three or more monsters in one encounter, they tell you to like multiply their experience by like one and a half. You don't dish out that much extra experience. You just treat it when you're making the algorithm like it is. So let's say that 200 experience points is de- is deadly for a level 1. Well, if you have four goblins versus a level 1 player, you can just think about that and not even look at the algorithm. You know that player is going to die if they're facing it. Unless it's a wizard that casts Thunderclap. Huh. Yeah, true. <laughs> or uh, burning, burning hands. hands, and one of them turns out to be a goblin boss, and then that tiefling wizard gets knocked out. He's, locked, he's behind a locked door. That, he... The tiefling wizard locked behind him. And left all of his friends outside of. <laughs> there is a man in this room who played that character. We won't say who, even though we've said it before on this podcast. Nathaniel. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, but uh, you're right. A wizard might be able to pull that off if they get them all lined up nicely and right, right, right. pull it off. Uh, but you should be willing to expect the wizard to die. So is there, that would be for like an encounter, for a monster encounter. Is there something similar for a skill check? Um, I don't think. I think they just have a range that says five is easy, ten is normal. Like so, easy anybody can do this in their sleep. Basically, 
10. Anybody should be able to do this. 15, this is hard. Most people can do it, but it's still difficult. 20 is, okay, like, you probably need to be skilled. 25 is, wow, this is really difficult. Like, only a few people can do this. And 30 is labeled as almost impossible in 5th edition because you can't get that many modifiers to your dice roll. Like, I think a high modifier, like, you've been tweaking stuff for a long time and working hard at it is like 17 and you're level 20 by that point and all of that works yeah. together plus you. you've got advantage and disadvantage in in fifth edition that yeah. can or can hurt or help you right yeah in fact to get to 30 i mean you'll have to take double proficiency in certain skills and so on like it's difficult it's a it's a real struggle yeah so as for setting though how difficult something like that is like if i want to say oh how hard is climbing a cliff face um I kind of look at it and I go, would your average Joe be able to do this? If your average Joe can do it, then it's probably around the 10 range or lower. If somebody's going to need to be skilled in order to do it, then I try to set it around the 20. And if it's something that like would be the stuff of legends, then it's around 30. Another Spencer story. You ready, guys? I'm ready. I'm so, not sure what story you're going to reference, so I guess. So in a campaign that I was DMing, Spencer was a barbarian this oh, good. time. Good. Awesome. Okay. He attempted, while he was sitting on the back of his horse... <laughs> Clay just remembered the story. Was I there for this? Or I'm not I... sure you were. You <clears throat> may have been. Sorry, excuse me. So, he attempted to swing his sword over his head like a propeller <laughs> in order to lift I him... I was there! <laughs> in order to lift him... And his horse into the air. <laughs> it did not work. It's like when you're in second grade and you have a jump rope and you're like spinning it really high above your head. Except for like, not only is it going to lift you, it's going to lift the entire playground. <laughs> with you. That's very good. Oh man, I forgot about that. And I think, like in a in a case like that, it's important to remember that a thirty is almost impossible. <laughs> like, sorry, I, I put it at around hundred. <laughs> um, he rolled like a two. <laughs> even with a thirty, a bard can't seduce a wood door. You know, right? Stone, possibly. <laughs> so I I think that something important to remember here is knowing the party that you have. <clears throat> Um, I've got a party that I'm playing with right now, and I'm they're they're a little more goofy. Sure. Uh, they they care about the story, they care about the characters, but they have more fun when things are a little bit more whimsical. And so I've I've adopted um, an improv trick of never saying no. Not that something is impossible. Not that they get to do everything they want to, rather, but. With everything that they do, yeah, it's possible. Um, and it's made for some unique encounters, but um, that particular party enjoys that. Yeah, we've actually done a similar thing before um, in Dad's campaign. He was very much that way with a lot of the stuff that he did. I mean, you once took out a necromancer with an arrow oh, between yeah. the legs. So... <laughs> He was, I, I think, again, it makes for interesting encounters, but if those are your players, then go for it, right? That's what the game's all about.
Okay. Oh, man. Well, that's a, that's a great intro. That's an intro and a half. Uh, welcome to the Beggar's Corner. <laughs> not muted. Nope. Not uncensored. Muted. Unscripted. Actually, maybe a little bit censored, but that's before it comes out of our mouths. So, um, yeah, this is the part of the show where we talk about how you can get in contact with us, which is through our email address, initiativeroll at gmail.com. I think we should flip that sometime because I'm always going to say initiative roll at blogspot.com. Okay, this time you knew you were going to do it and you said it that way on purpose, man. You yeah. need help. <laughs> no, it's initiative roll.blogspot.com. Uh, that's where you can get any of the resources we talk about that we're going to post, or you can just see the audio if for some reason you don't use Apple Podcast or Spotify. We also have a third way that you can get our information now. Uh, we recently got an Instagram. At initiative underscore role, R-O-L-E, in all three cases, by the way, uh, at our email and our blog and our uh, Instagram. So we actually have a shocking amount of followers, given that we made it like two days ago. I think we have more followers on our Instagram than we've had people listen to this show. Yeah, that's usually how social media outreach works. <laughs> that's like the point of it. But right, I, but, but I see I, what you mean. It's very cool. And we're I very mean, we've exciting. been doing this for like three months now. If you run, <laughs> if you're one of those people that's run in to us that way, shoot us an email just to say hello. Yeah, let we'd us love, just know. Love to love to hear from you. Also, this is going to be another shameless plug. Not technically a sponsor, but there is another podcast rolling uh, called That Odious Beast Gaming. Uh, which is where me and my buddy Jonathan Nielsen hop on and talk about the Vidya games. So if that's your flavor, go for it. Now, this episode, we actually have two dedications because we have two guests. So each of them is going to dedicate the episode to somebody that has influenced their love for fantasy or storytelling or gaming or anything that really applies to that. Uh, which of you would like to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, I, I'm Clay Ellsworth. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me, I also have an email, um, clay.ellsworth at gmail. Um, Ellsworth is with two L's. Um, and I want to dedicate what we're doing tonight to my very first D&D character, Elroth, and his familiar little Jack, the pseudo-dragon, um, that were tragically taken out by Catherine, the red-haired, or the purple-haired no! sign. That's why you hated Catherine so much. Yep. Well, oh, tell us just a tiny bit about that, because was that in the first adventure that you referenced earlier, or...? Um, it was it was my first campaign. Um, the Inspired were attempting to set off, essentially, a nuclear bomb that crystallized um, that area. And I uh, turned to Crystal. No. She succeeded. Did your whole party I, fail? Uh, no, no, about half the party made it out alive. Um, I failed Jeez. enough saves that I was done for, though. Oh my gosh. That actually sounds, as terrible as it is, that sounds like it was a really cool adventure series. Absolutely it was. It also vibes me a little bit of, actually, you know what? There's been a couple times I've wanted to res- reference a video game. There's been a couple times I have, and I'm not going to make another. So, Final Fantasy Thirteen. <laughs> Alright. Uh, Quinn, what about you? Um, so I'm going to dedicate it to my father, Jared King. Um, you know, he kind of fostered my love for fantasy. And as far as books go, I grew up listening to Narnia and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, even The Silmarillion. Those were my bedtime stories. Did he read those to you? Mm -hmm. He read them 
So it was me and my two older brothers that shared a room. And he would come in every night and read to the three of us for about a half hour. That's super cool. Man, I bet that's that's the kind of thing you never really forget, you know? Like that sticks with you. That's cool. Well, yeah. All right. Well, hats off to departed friends, El Roth and Little Jack, and then also to your, to your dad. That's super cool. segment of this show and talking about the theme there were some people that went by in the hallway um we're actually recording in my apartment and that's what i'd like to do now bring you in to my apartment have a seat by the by the fire there's no that, fire that sounded weird that okay, sounded here's, weird here's oh hansel and gretel would you like some more gingerbread for my house are you, are you thinking about that girl you talked to this week? <laughs> <laughs> Come sit on my okay, couch. Y'all, y'all are bringing the put-downs. First of all, I want to just know, I couldn't make gingerbread if my wife depended on it. It's more like, come have some uh, ramen noodle. <laughs> true. I, I want to remember the academia now. <laughs> That's true. I have Swiss not, Miss. I literally have nothing but Swiss Miss and ramen. <laughs> it's like my whole life. Uh, no, I just want to say... You come in here, we're going to sit around and have a nice little story time. Like it's Christmas, which was a little while ago. Um, oh my gosh, this is not an adventure recap. It's not. I transitioned to an adventure recap. We don't okay. have a bard corner today. Oh no. <laughs> Bless your heart. Unless. Puts off headphones. Leaves in shame. Facepalm. <laughs> oh man, that's bad. I, I don't want to keep this. I don't want to live anymore. <laughs> Unless you guys want to pull up a story from the uh, from the dregs of some time that the three of us were playing that is not a Spencer story. Ooh, ooh! I only remember the Spencer stories because they're funny and memorable. They are. I love playing with Spencer. It was super I, fun. I feel like we should take this this moment and talk about our time at uh, MSU. Bus. Mus. You mean M- M-U-S? M-U-S. My bad. Mus. We've mentioned Mus, Mus a few times Mus. on the podcast. Mus. 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 Michael Uscar. Sure. No, not Michael Uscar. <laughs> oh, the Scar Nebulous. We need to tell you about this. We came up with the mascot for Mus the other day on the show. Uh, the Sharn Scarns. It is Michael Scarn. It is Michael Scarn. All right. I think I can get behind that. I, I can definitely support that. And their rivals are the Eberron Golden Faces. Oh, that's right. <laughs> The Sharns Garns versus the Ebron Golden Faces in this tight, tight football game. What about the Strong Batty and Trogdors? Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> they do burn and eat all the peasants, that's yeah, for sure. They certainly do. That's actually their fight song, which is a little aggressive. <laughs> Especially when they play against the uh, Pleasant Peasants. Oh, man. <sighs> I was going to talk about the time when... I, like, abandoned you to those dragons. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, let's talk about Uh, it. All seven of them. Wait, was I there for that one? 
Was no, that the I don't think you so. Read the one-off on Wait, your birthday? there was there was the one-off that I did that was the seven dragons, and then there was the one that we did at work that was just one dragon. No, 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 this is the one-off I'm talking about. But I abandoned Clay both times. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> I'm be, seeing a trend. Let's be clear on this point. There was some full-on Benedict Arnolding both times. Let's actually let's talk about the the one the single dragon encounter because that one's actually a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, did you get experience for that? I killed oh, the man. dragon. <laughs> he was the one who dealt the killing blow, which may seem odd given that he ran off. Plus, I, I, I scaled I the dragon afterwards and made armor out of it. That was pretty cool too. How did we? How did we find that dragon? What was happening? We were we were trying to find money so that Spencer could buy apartment <laughs> complexes. <laughs> right, not about Spencer. However, that was happening, I remember. That was definitely the impetus. Man, he, he dictated a lot of that. You guys can keep going now. I was trying to gather a background on a sample while I was cooking. Yeah. Ah, uh, that works. Okay. That's going to have to be cut. Restarting in three... So, the impetus for this adventure of going after the dragon was Spencer wanting to get money to buy <laughs> apartment complexes, to rent out to people, in to Charn. get in Charn, to get more money. <laughs> like the guy, adventurer. the guy in Curious George, who's like air quotes the antagonist and just wants to build a parking garage on the yeah, museum. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think what it was is I, he saw all these things he could buy in the shop that I'd created, and he's like. I don't have enough gold for this. But if I sold apartment space, I would have as much gold as I always wanted as an adventurer. Let's go kill a dragon, take its horde, so that we can buy apartments instead of just using the horde. We actually didn't know that there'd be a dragon at the end. But on the way down, we did face both a hydra and then at the end, a dragon. Whoa! The hydra battle was super fun. That was a lot of fun. I freaked you guys out by having it go back under the water. Yeah, that was the worst. I thought we were going to die. Oh. Okay, so so give me the rundown of, of the abandonment stories that went down during this dragon fight. Go ahead, Clay. Go ahead. I've been playing Octopath Traveler recently. Ooh, good game. game Such a good, good game. I love having the sorcerer in my party because you can always do an HP check and see like at what point in the battle you're in. In D&D... You just don't have that. Sure. You don't you don't know how much HP that dragon has left. And I was fairly confident we were about ninety percent of the way through that boss battle. I had no idea. I thought we were just scratching the surface. Ah. I was the spellcaster, so ninety percent of that damage was mine. Uh no it wasn't. It was mine, the fighter. The fighter who couldn't reach the flying dragon. Okay, I was a dwarf fighter. <laughs> You're not helping your case. But who landed the killing blow? Rest my case. Okay, so how did Mike that dropped. happen? How did? What, what, okay, so play by play, or as close as you want to give it. Gosh, that was over a year ago now, so I don't think we remember. Gelatinous cube clay. Oh my gosh, I forgot about gelatinous cube clay. <laughs> I had I had recently learned the spell. Polymorph. Polymorph. Okay. Um, and I, I cast fly, I flew above the dragon, and I polymorphed into a, 
it wasn't a gelatinous cube. It was it was a similar slime monster. It was an ooze of some kind, maybe a um, black pudding or it, it had some some <laughs> sort of poison, definitely poison damage. Is it really no. called black pudding? Yeah, there's one called black pudding. There's also one called yellow ochre. Anyway, I, I nearly sacrificed myself in splat damage. Well, to this I dragon. remember what we did is you and I we spent like 15 minutes flipping through the monster manual. But not um, literally flipping because we were, couldn't have paper. Right. Right. So we we went on break. We, we like put it on hold until we could go on break. We went out. We checked our PDF copies. And all we did is we just sat back and forth. We debated whether or not you should be allowed to turn into a gelatinous cube. We debated. Damage what, done. Damage done. We even looked at how much each of these types of oozes weighed. Just so you could pick the one that was the heaviest to do the maximum amount of damage. So just for like 15 minutes. just figured Yeah. Have I made a Geico joke on this cast before? No, you... <laughs> Stop making dad jokes. You're not a dad. Look, I saved, Unless you I saved are. 15 I saved 15% or more on my hit points that day. Oh, okay. <laughs> not really, though, because he almost died. He did almost die. He almost lost... Uh, he was saved by 15% I really needed that 15%. <laughs> so anyways, after Clay essentially traps this dragon inside of his gelatinous oozy form, I'm like, hey, now's a good chance to run away <laughs> because the dragon can't follow me so after he got after clay was splat and split you decided you would split yeah pretty much so that he didn't get splat right <laughs> so i start going back up the staircase to get the heck out of there and as they continued to fight the dragon about every five minutes or so like actual time not play time i would roll my dice and if i rolled less than a six I would go back because I felt bad. So I rolled, how, many, how long did that take? I rolled, I think, four, four or five times. So about a half hour before I actually turned around. I was going to say, you mentioned that you <clears throat> roll very well. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> rolled, waited probably a half hour. I rolled five or six times before I actually went back. And when I got back, they were in a way worse situation <laughs> than when I left. <laughs> and then... uh. Remind me, how did how did the dragon die? Because wasn't it like on the ground fighting them at that point? Yeah, so it's on the ground fighting them, and I I essentially run up to the dragon, get it. I think I got an attack of opportunity. Maybe I don't remember. I like can't I remember like exactly what happened, but as the dragon is opening its maw to breathe fire and just consume me, I swing my hammer and I just clock it right in the face and kill it. <laughs> yeah you were man clay was very frustrated when i left well because i i fell on the dragon as this giant gelatinous cube and it was stunned for 75 percent of the time you were gone yeah so probably. the worse off that we were was from that 25 percent well something that i loved about this is i i like to play with a board i don't like to do theater of mind you guys know this and uh I had like an hour to set up this dragon encounter. It took us all day at work. It took it was an eight hour battle. Was this basically. the one that you? Yeah. So I built yeah. this hillside because I was using physical terrain pieces from an old game called HeroScape. Um, so I was using that, what and then we dropped a whole bunch of uh, gold coins on there and ruins and this like actual dragon model. And so when you guys actually played, you were playing in the dragon's horde, and it was three dimensional. And I thought it was super it cool. It was pretty awesome. Can I? Can I ask? You guys were in an office. I worked upstairs. <laughs> what were the what was the, the 
general colleague and well, I need to I need to specify where we were playing in the office too because we were in a call center. We were playing right next to the management's office, like we were the closest desks to management. Yeah, they 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 were not approving. But they would, <laughs> but they didn't stop us. They just like didn't promote us. <laughs> that yeah. is like that is the sheer power of managerial authority right there. Like I can't technically stop you <laughs> but i won't promote you but but i can slow you down <laughs> that's wild huh. I think maybe they were a little bit intimidated i just don't think they knew where to start <laughs> is, th- is that a dragon <laughs> are you using a voice what is happening? Well, I, love, I love they walk over and they're like you stop and you guys are just like stop what <laughs> Tell us. Go ahead. Tell us what we're doing. We don't have any paper. You can't make us stop. <laughs> what is that cloak you're wearing? <laughs> okay, nobody ever... No, wait. I did dress up no, on Halloween. <laughs> you did, and Clay did wear a cloak one day. I'm pretty sure. I forgot day. about that. Man, was there, yep. Were there any daggers? No. No, no cloak and dagger. Just, just the cloak. Just the cloak and the hag bag. <laughs> Oh, that will always give me shudders. <laughs> cloak and hag bagger then. Uh, cloak and hag No. That's gross. No, uh, that, that, that will always be a weird series of memories for me, is playing that game at work. And not ever getting in trouble for it, though I feel like we definitely should have. That's like, yeah, that's weird. Too. We definitely, all three of us, should have been up for promotions and did not get, get promotions. Yes. Because of it. I, I definitely feel like that was one of the major reasons. Hmm. Well, dang. But they never told them. They never told me. I never got told that information. So I feel like they just always silently disapproved, which I was always like, oh, like you could at least say that you disapprove, and then we would, you know, maybe not. <laughs> so the moral of today's podcast <laughs> is Dungeons and Dragons ruins lives. <laughs> <laughs> but also, but also, not really. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe on a... Because here we are, two years later. Right. As still friends. friends. Still friends. And Clay's the only one that still works there, but he, he stopped playing D&D, so he got promoted. Twice. <laughs> Guys, you're sending the wrong messages about this game. <laughs> <laughs> maybe don't play it in a professional work setting? Yeah, no, that would be my advice. <laughs> well, although my last job, we had a Pac-Man, little Pac-Man arcade machine. Uh, that we burned hours into, <laughs> and our management was the same way. Not approving, not approving. Didn't say a word. Although one of them set a high score. So. Well, I think this is a good time to transition into the quandary corner. Is that what we're calling it? That is. So we've got our four corners. How long for was those... that in the crockpots doing? Um, That's about the last ten minutes. Okay. Uh, crockpots take way longer. Was it an instapot? Uh, no, but my wife and I did get a pressure cooker for Christmas. For so, nice. Yeah, so I think that's what I actually put it in is the pressure cooker of my brain. Uh, no, but we officially have four Weird corners. Analogy, but okay. No, but it we, makes we did complete it. sense. Yeah. We got four corners. We have the beggars corner. We have the character corner. We have the bard corner, and now we have the quandary corner. Damn. Ten episodes in, we got all four corners. So the quandary corner. Uh, today's fan question comes from Dungeon Master Jake, who asks. How long do you spend prepping an adventure? Now, I think we can extrapolate that question to also say, how long do you spend prepping a campaign? And I think we can talk about both. But uh, how long do you guys spend prepping an adventure? 
it kind of depends on the adventure and also who's in the group. Um, I currently, right now, I've, I've not DM'd in a while, but I've been prepping large campaigns. Um, I right now have two almost completely done campaigns that I've been working on for about three months. Um, really, that's, I mean, I feel like that's kind of quick, but I did, I did pull most of the storyline from old video games. Oh, interesting. So now I have a question with that. Do you have people lined up to play it, or is this just for when you have somebody who wants to play, you can drop them in? Just when I have somebody who wants to play, I can start start the campaign. Huh. I have questions, too. This is not that cast, but what games? I have to know. They are Shining Force, okay, which was sure. a Sega Genesis game, yeah, and Shining Force 2. Uh, <laughs> also for cool. the Sega Genesis. Yeah. Classics, though. Cool. What about you, Clay? It constantly, I find myself um, world creating in my imagination. Um, always, sure. Um, as far as detail setting for a specific adventure, um, the time can vary anywhere between I've prepared in as little time as fifteen minutes. Um, or as much time as three or four hours. Okay. Um, something that I've been doing recently is I will open up multiple tabs on my web browser, and I will do a Google image search and find something that looks like the setting that I want to describe. Um, and as I am preparing, I will pull that up for inspiration. Oh, gotcha. interesting um, idea. And, and when I when I describe it to the players, I'll pull it up, and it helps me remember to describe specific details that I might I might have missed if I were just going from memory. So, do you write those details down, or do you just like create a PowerPoint with the picture in it? So, I just pull up a couple of tabs, and I, I click through the tabs as they as they go through. My roast, my most recent adventure was in a in an abandoned mansion, and so I would just go through the different tabs as they went into the different rooms. Now, let me see if I understand. You don't show them these pictures. No. These are just behind okay. your DM screen. I thought you showed them to them, but that, that makes sense. Um, I've done both, but I, I find that with the group that I'm playing right now, um, what they imagine sometimes is a lot more magical than what I describe. Yeah, it's way cooler. Horror writers actually employ a similar technique when they're writing their horror books is that sometimes they just leave something to the imagination. Or like if you've ever seen like, um, a great example is like the screenplay, I don't, I never saw the actual film, but the screenplay for the, uh, the play or film, The Woman in Black, mm. you don't see The Woman in Black until like, in fact, I don't think in the play you ever see her. No, you do a couple of times, but it's only but you don't brief see like under her veil. Yeah. Oh yeah, you don't see under her yeah. veil or anything. Like she's never in full reveal. You see like because, silhouette and right. stuff like that. And because the lights go out and flash back on and she's there and then they go back out and flash back up and she's gone. Right. And because like what that. you fill in with your imagination is infinitely more creative and inventive and in the case of horror films and novels, horrifying, than it ever would be otherwise. Yeah, that, that's why in a horror film, for example, 
until the very, very end of the film, they won't show you the monster. And they'll only show you the bits film. and pieces. And then it ruins the time. Film. Every time. I don't know. Stranger Things did it pretty well with the Demogorgon. Sure. Still haven't seen season two. Oh, it's Ooh, pretty good. How does that make you feel, Clay? Season three comes out in July, man. We July got time. July 4th. Oh, it comes out July 4th. Interesting. Yeah, they're going to season, they're going to holiday it again. <laughs> I waited a year to watch season one because of how frustrated it made Clay. And now I'm still waiting to watch season two because of how frustrated it makes Clay. <laughs> Weird flex. But you've, just been, you've just been holding on to that one then, haven't you? <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, <clears throat> something, going back to our, our original question, um, something that I find myself guilty of if I over-prepare is railroading. Yep. Um, I will I will come up with so much detail and I will put so much time and effort into it that if it doesn't go that way, I try to get back on track, if you will. Um, whereas if I just kind of pull up a couple of different stats of monsters and have an idea of what's going to happen, um, it requires a little bit more on the fly, um, a little bit more improv, but it uh, I feel like definitely gives more opportunity to the player. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. In fact, in the fairly limited amount of times that I've DM'd, I found that for me personally, four hours of preparation versus one hour is not that different. And I've even straight improv adventures before <laughs> with very little guidance, and it just works. I don't know. I, I think that there's a point to which preparation can be helpful, and, but then, like you said, there's also a point to which it's hurtful, like when you start railroading your players and making them want to, trying to force them into the paths that you foresee. Yeah. Now, Logan, how long do you spend prepping? I mean, that super depends, because it depends on how I'm feeling about being a dungeon master. Because <laughs> the first adventure, I'll spend hours... Like, Some of it depends on like how many encounters you're planning on having. That's true. And like what type of storyline you're doing as well. So when I when I'm preparing an adventure, I like to um, prepare three different things. I think that a good adventure in about an hour um, has three things. I think it has an account an encounter, a puzzle, and an opportunity to role play. Um, if you include those three things. Um, I feel like that makes it a quality session for players. I'd agree with that. For me, one of the things that I've done in the past is I've spent the majority of my prep time working with character backstories. So, like, coordinating with my characters on a more individual basis. And then I've done things like prepare props. Like, oh, this is a letter from your sister. Right? Um, and, that you know, that letter may take 45 minutes to write, but the, the player reaction, it pulls them in, and they're like, oh, shoot. And especially if you say, like, you don't inherently have to tell your teammates about this, that creates some really good tensions. Although I did rip a party apart, like a cinnamon bread once. Cinnamon pull apart. That was what I was getting at. Monkey bread. Yeah, like a monkey bread. I ripped them to shreds like a monkey bread once doing that. So you got to be careful. But All right, then. Well, the amount of time I spend prepping doesn't change all that much. I, uh, I spend... More time prepping than I should. <laughs> there was one time, oh, this made me so mad. I spent an hour getting this troll, like big boss troll, ready. And they insta-killed it on the first shot. Dang. 
And so I threw a second troll at him. Because <laughs> I was that mad. I love it. I Man. love everything about that. Well, so, for example, if I'm going to play for three hours, and I end up spending 12 hours prepping, which is pretty common, that's too long. You, you can probably prep three hours worth of content in less time than it's going to take to play. So what, what do you like to have? Okay, the players are there, you're at the table... You've got the, the mat and the minis in front of you, if that's how you play. What do you like to have behind the screen? I have recently taken to writing my adventures completely out, because I do a lot of dungeon crawl-style adventures. Um, I've recently taken to writing out everything, including this is what kind of check they're going to have to make to get past this thing, this is how hard it's going to be, so that I can just go. So I might have like a seven-room dungeon that takes up like five or six pages, it used to be that I wrote the monster stats in there as well, so that I didn't have to flip back and forth in the manual. But I recently got monster cards from mo monster cards, monster cards from Gale Force Nine for Fifth Edition that have all the monster stats on like a little trading card style. Super nice, super helpful. Very convenient. This episode is not brought to you by Gale Force Nine. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I could get in contact with them even if I tried because everyone complains about how they never respond to any contact. Attempt some free advertisement. If this was sponsored by them, it just dunked really hard on them. <laughs> but they attach a double colorless energy to the troll. <laughs> but uh, their products and are fantastic. I, and then I tap two yeah, lands. Yeah, three fire. <laughs> three mountains. To summon the blue eyes. Red Dragon. Well, what's crazy, we talked about this. You earlier, just right? mixed three different trading card three games, and I love four. it. But that what was, I was going to say That was impressive. We have uh, Ravnica is now a set for Dungeons yeah. & Dragons, so really, he only mixed two, because oh. one's technically a peripheral part of Dungeons & Dragons. That's is wild. True. So I guess the answer on prepping is, uh, it's very different for everyone. The more sure of your campaign you are, the less time it takes to prepare. Um... But sometimes, if you're writing everything out like I do, it can take a lot longer. So, something that I like to do to prepare, um, particularly when it's in like a city setting, is I have a list of names that are unassigned. Um, my characters sometimes are drawn to figures that I've described in the background and not really put any stock into. And so, they might walk up to a merchant and instead of it's just nice to have a list of names and a couple of, like, random personalities. Because they're wanting to talk to people that you didn't expect them to want to talk to. So I'll, I'll pick a couple of, of characters. So I've got a, a personality and a voice kind of ready to go. Um, it would be cool if you mapped that to, like, a chart, like, percentage dice. So when they roll up, you just give it a light toss, and you're like, oh, number 67. Here's Schnapps. Here's oh, snaps. snaps. Oh, snaps. Here's my concern. And I agree with this because I know if it were me and they were like, hey, we're going to come up to this shopkeeper. And I'm like, oh. oh what does I, he say? I, have, I don't know. I have stock comedy names. So I would say like four out of five times that guy would be Brian. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's not going to fly. They can't meet like 90 Brian. It's like in the Pokemon world where every shopkeeper is Brian. Right, exactly. No, well, I mean, there are countries in the world, like Portugal, for example, where the most common names, not by a little bit, are Jose and Maria because, this, or at least this was the way 20 or so years ago, you would have to register your children with the Catholic Church. And that registration process cost money 
depending on the name, it would cost more. And Jose and Maria were the cheapest names to register, so right. kids would just get named Jose and Maria. It was like a couple years back when all the boys were named Jason and all the girls were named Brittany. Thank you. Thank Somebody you. call IXIO. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. No, but if you have a weird system like that going in your world, that the players will go like, what? It, that could make it sense why they're all Brian. Yeah, and long term, that'll speed up your craft a lot. Because you don't have to necessarily individually map every character that they're going to run into. Kind of following down the rabbit hole, um, I in the adventure that Quinn, Nathaniel, and I played, um, there was a character that Nathaniel kind of made up on the fly, just the lowly goblin merchant. Um, Who I hated because I was a dwarf. And it was, it was Schnapps. Schnapps the shopkeeper. And we ended up investing in him. And the, more, the more we gave him, the better items he had for us. Um, but I don't think you put any prep work into Schnapps. First. It was pretty minimal. Uh, I also didn't put any prep work into Captain Dormel, the captain of the... Oh yeah, guy. Captain Dormel. He was awesome. So ironically, some of the most memorable characters were the ones who had were zero were on the fly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think this is a good point. We, we talked about Schnapps in our second episode, and in our last episode we talked about the hawker outside of the real estate agent um, in Greg's campaign. Uh, to briefly go over that for you guys who might not have heard it yet, um, essentially what happened is we walked up to buy a house in this other campaign, Sound like Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> we bought a zoo instead, but um, no. So what happened is my bard decided he didn't want any part nor portion with house buying, and so he he went up to the uh, hawker who was like, "Come on in, buy your houses or whatever," and convinced this guy that his wife was in labor, um, and then took his outfit and started hawking goods. And none of us are gonna forget the personality of that hawker. I don't think, even though he was not a written part of the script. And Greg had to improv him on the fly. Ah, so that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're just out, of, just about out of time. But as you all are walking down the lane, you see... Jason and Brittany. No, it's Jason not Jason and Brittany. Brittany. It's not Jason and Brittany. You see, a, uh, you see a merchant peddling his goods. And he says his name is Brian. <laughs> it's always Brian. And out of the woods, pop four goblins to ambush him. And you realize... It's time to roll initiative.